Richard. Welcome to the Commerce Talks podcast, um, episode number five actually today already at the uh, Shop Talks Europe conference. But uh, with the fifth episode, we are getting the most famous guest here. <laughs> You're presenting uh, Levi Strauss, if I pronounce it That's right. um, correct. And there you're, you're representing a very interesting uh, topic, the direct-to-consumer part. Can you uh, give us a bit of uh, introduction about Levi and yourself, please? Sure. Well, Levi's is no introduction, right? So it's been around for 169 years. So I like to refer to it as a 169-year-old startup. Um, we are primarily denim known, but we are a head-to-toe apparel business across all categories and genders. Um, we operate both globally with DTC, we operate with bricks and clicks, we operate with pure play. Um, so we have a really good coverage globally of our organization. For me, I've been here 16 years, um, many different jobs along the way, and I am currently the global head of direct consumer for Levi Strauss Co. What are the main products from Levi? I know it must sound like a trick question to you, but sure. um, said maybe some listeners don't know yet. Main products from Levi's, everybody would know the 501. And just by reference, it's 150 years old next month, I want to say. Um, so based on that, we have a huge iconic product as a platform and a DNA to the rest of our denim brand and offer. We're well known from denim, both men's and women's. Um, but you'd also know us for the trucker jacket I'm wearing one today. Um, and then also additional um, iconic white t-shirt. If you think back to some of the kind of memories you may have of the brand with the blue jeans, white tees and you know the, the boots, it, it's kind of synonymous with how we, we are recognized by most people in this world. I have to admit, I don't own uh, one jeans. Yeah, no. so I only own chinos. That's, that's, um, yeah. need, I've, I've heard this comment before. I've yeah, you need to indulge. I've heard this comment before. So, um, Obviously, the brand grew with uh, the wholesale business over the last uh, 150 years. Direct-to-consumer became more important over the last years. Wh where was this change driven from? So what, are the, what was the impulse to do more direct-to-consumer? So before DTC became a popular terminology, Levi's has already been in retail for many years. And we've operated in lots of different formats. So either owned and operated, either in a franchise setup, a shopping shop, concession, And also we operate across both mainline and also factory outlets. So different parts of operating modeling in the global network of distribution. We currently sit today on just over 3,000, just under 3,000 doors. Um, that mix is around 1,000 doors are owned and operated. The rest are sat with partnerships and concessions and ship, um, shopping shops. Um, and as a business, we've evolved that to become a real beacon of how the brand turns up in front of the consumer and how we bring to life the full range and offer to the consumer to delight and surprise our fans as we go. So direct-to-consumer started as a brick-and-mortar direct-to-consumer, not, not as an online direct-to-consumer. Correct. So yeah. and um, is this direct-to-consumer approach, brick-and-mortar, now changing more into an online approach? So our online is a, a big part of what we do. So we have core website environments across all the global markets. Um, we integrate that fully in terms of our commercial strategic objective. So currently today, e-commerce represents around 8% of our business um, globally. Um, and as of we your direct-to-consumer business or total retail our, business? Of our, of our total business. Okay. So as a result, we are now driving heavily towards, um, on the back of the, the increased traction, if you think, through the last two years, our e-commerce business was accelerating like everybody else's. But we see it as an in integral part of how we operate DTC in total. So we're integrating the consumer journey both on and offline and making sure we connect the dots for that end-to-end -end consumer journey. Um, and we're using both vehicles to integrate a consumer. So there, there really isn't a difference between the two. 
we had our guest here today um, from uh, from from a from a retailer brand called Z Men, um, uh, which is trying to build a very much omni-channel focused customer journey. They are today 99% um, offline in their stores. And when, when they want to, um, uh, let's say, ramp up their e-commerce capabilities, focus for them is to bring the e-commerce customers in the store, like for, uh, for pick up their orders. What would you say to the Zeman manager for this strategy? I think you've got to figure out what works for you and what works in one market might not work in another market. So we have varying levels of execution that we offer. So between associate order entry system, which is when you're in a store and it becomes endless aisle. So if you can't find the trousers in your size, then we could save the sale and find them online for you. Or even the shirt you're wearing, we could get a different color for you that isn't available in store, but is online. So we can extend that endless aisle to you within the store environment. Conversely, online, if you're shopping online, you wouldn't know as a consumer, but if the stock wasn't available and yet we've been able to route that through to a fulfillment in a store, you would still be satisfied with that order fulfillment. Hence, we save the sale within that interconnected inventory. That for us is how we're really making sure the consumer journey is fulfilled at whichever point they connect with us. So whether it be online, offline, through a, an associate order entry tool, or even through a mobile app solution that we've now issued as part of our e-commerce strategy. In, you said your e-commerce uh, um, share is 8% globally. Um, I think when I'm following the conferences correctly on, on the European e-commerce uh, markets and listening to Zalando and about you, they say 20% of the overall fashion uh, market is already online in, uh, in Europe. Is it also the case then for uh, Levi in Europe or um, is, is, is denim products a special case which is rather shopped uh, in the brick and mortar environment? So we, we have a really diversified approach to marketplace on e-commerce. So we have our own Levi.com, which is the 8%. Then we work with the pure play. So working with four players around the globe and also the bricks and clicks. So as part of that digital universe, we have not just DTC, but also we have our third party approach to the market, which works incredibly well when you start to reach across the demographic and also consumer profiling, um, which we, we're targeting. We're a very democratic brand. And from a customer perspective, what is the reason why should I buy on Levi.com or on the German version um, of it and not on Zalando? Where I, where I might have the Zalando Plus uh, um, service, like free, uh, free returns, free delivery. Sure, you're going to get an expanded offer within the Levi.com environment. You're going to be hopefully a member. Of, of that journey and, and get additional benefits in terms of early launches and priority. So priority around launch items, maybe even early access into collaborations that we do. Um, you're going to see the full breadth of offer between tops and bottoms, men's and women's kids, um, and really have that immersive experience where you know, we'll work with other partners to dedicate against category development. And again, it's one of those things where we're working symbiotically in the industry versus working independently. How many, how many products are we offering on Levi.com? I don't have that to say. I, I can't think what that will be. Um, yeah, but, but is it like, is it hundreds, thousands, ten thousands? No, it's hundreds. It's hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. Let, let's say if it's, it's 500 products, uh, how many of those products would I find in a pure play retail environment like Zalando? Um, you would probably find a similar number, but maybe a different offer. So segmented differently to the consumer profile, because of course online, 
everything is becoming more personalized to the consumers who actually yeah. frequent those locations. So as a result, they, um, they, they, will, they will potentially trade and offer something different for their consumer base. And again, that's something we work with in, in, across our entire collection. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And how do you view in on the um, on the challenges of uh, bringing these different channels together? So that was also a part of the conversations with earlier guests today. So it's a usually a huge investment from a wholesale company or just like running a couple of your own stores into um, yeah. into getting into an omnichannel experience. Just the simple use cases you've described: uh, ordering something from a store which is not available there, shipping it to the customer or into the store making then returns available in the same store that, that makes sense from a consumer journey perspective but it's super hard to build if your erp systems or cash systems are not are not equipped for that how, how do you how do you manage that so in terms of managing the end-to-end -end and the return cycle behind the e-commerce transactions it is a technical technically challenged um, area we have built that in-house so we have an in-house built solution we also work with some third parties to actually enhance some of those returns elements. Again, depending on the markets in which we operate, that then coordinates against the backdrop of our logistics partners or our third parties that manage our consumer interaction. And we work on that as a strategic intent. So we're building very closely what the consumer pain points are and using that as our baseline and then navigating our way through to actually ensure that you know, whether it's through a, a drop station or whether it's through one of our locations or return by, by mail, it's as frictionless as possible. And that's all part of making sure we're putting the consumer first and what the pain points are we're trying to solve for. So you've decided then for a strategy where you're not um, selling your products exclusively over your own channels. So it's it's distributed like in many online channels, offline channels, I can find it like in many yeah. in many in many store. This usually leads to a very complex um, um, challenge when it comes to platforms like Zalando or Amazon, because um, uh, you might offer your products to Amazon or to Zalando, but there might be other retailers uh, that want to get rid of their 501 stock for whatever reason, which leads to like a price spiral downwards. That's what we, is, what we are always seeing with over-distributed products. Do you have a solution for that or do, don't you see this price spiral? Um, we, we're, not, we're not in a position where we would be able to articulate anything about that with the partners that we work with. We work in a closed network, so we work with accredited resellers of, of Levi's. So the network of people who sell Levi's are all through an accredited um, platform in Europe um, that we work with. So we, we don't have a, that level of friction um, in terms of our approach to it in the market space. And even working with the big partners that we have, their decision on what they will apply an, a, a selling price to or anything like that is really their decision um, on how they trade uh, the brand in that environment. How stable is your assortment? So how much uh, change in your assortment you see on a yearly basis? Is there like new a new collection like every half sure, year like with other yeah. retailers? And, and then you have like a couple of products that are staying there forever since 150 years, yeah. obviously. Yeah, so we have a really good core iconic product set. And then on top of that, we have seasonal injections, which are relevant for clearly the seasonal point in time. So we'll be working on those seasons out and making sure we've got regular drops and regular flow to engage the consumer. And it also facilitate that frequency um, that most retailers are looking for, right? So the consumers can keep coming back in and finding something new and interesting by the brand. Yeah. As global head of D2C, I think one of your uh, uh, targets must be to to increase the share of direct-to-consumer uh, uh, revenue. So if, if I was uh, uh, sitting on your place, I would say, okay, I can increase the share by 
just having um, exclusive uh, assortment that are only available on my P2C channels. So sure. no Zalando, no Walmart will get those uh, collections. Then obviously the Walmart buyer will come and say, hey, uh, Richard, that's unfair. We have been partners now for 50 years. Why, why don't we get the um, Levi Black collection or the Richard collection? H how do you handle this channel conflict? So from a, I mean, a commercial standpoint within the wholesale relationships, there are things which I can't really give you the detail on because I'm not in that world to, to comment. However, what we do work with is a very unique set of propositions for each partner we work with. So we talk about segmentation and assortment strategy within each of our distribution channels. And of course, within Levi's, you would expect to find the product there first. Um, so there could be early release. There could be specific product for online exclusive. We do have some of those today. So it's not something new. It's not something that somebody would necessarily come for. But equally, we do allow or do enable our partners and customers to also have exclusives for them. So special makeup product that we do offer some of them so they can, again, really focus on who their consumers are and how they can generate that additional demand. I, I guess you have also experience with, uh, with the influencer marketing uh, side. So people, rappers are wearing your Levi jeans in a video or whatever. Um, and then they could, so like 10 years ago, that would have been like a, a brand investment. So the more people are seeing it, the more people will buy Levi. Today, all those social media channels try to try to become transactional. So they allow you to put a link in there because they want to um, earn part of the money, obviously. Do you use this already to, to drive traffic into your own online, uh, um, um, on, online user experiences? I don't know. That's a good question. I would have to ask. I would have to phone a friend on that one. Okay. Um, okay. So it's something I can't. We need to telephone Joker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking around the corner at Sophie. Um, but uh, no, I, I I can't answer that one. I think we you know, we, we do have we do have a level of engagement. We have um we have a facility in many key locations that we have called the House of Strauss, and it's a product placement location. So we invite people in. Um, and invariably we're placing product with them versus paid partnerships. Um, and uh, yeah, the brand is hot. People want to wear it. You know, you'll end up with people coming in wanting it for a concert they're performing in, or wanting it for a, a, an advertorial. And, and we'll make sure we look, work with influencers as well as other um, VIPs in the industries. But it's not something I can answer you around whether we're, we're using that from a, a media perspective. What is driving the growth uh, uh, further in the future? Is it rather new products, let's say a, a denim shoe or a denim net, or I don't know, what, whatever you can, we can do out, out of this um, sure. uh, fabric? Yeah. Or is it more new markets where, where Levi haven't been so, so active before, I don't know, India or I don't know. I haven't, haven't looked into your go-to-market strategies, yeah. but what is driving the growth? Yeah, so I mean, we, we are already global. So we're already well penetrated in most of the global markets. We do have expansion that we can make within our e-commerce channel. So we know that we could do a, a higher proportion of revenue in that area. And that's something which we're going to be investing in the next five years. We're going to continue to invest in opening more stores. So we're, we're planning to open another 400 stores over the next five years as well. Um, so we believe in brick and mortar. Um, in terms of product, denim is always our core strength. And yeah, the 501 has been around for 150 years. It's going to be around and keep going. And it keeps giving us that essence of growth and opportunity. And as we look at diversifying into our youth categories, into our women's business, and also boosting our top sales, they're all areas of opportunity that we're excited about. And I think that we can facilitate, which will then lead into the direct-to-consumer growth as part of the business strategy. 
when like eight percent of your business is already direct to consumer on your own online channels, if I now correctly stated this this number, then there must be already a, um, a huge team or a size of the team behind it uh, for the online experience because direct-to-consumer is obviously very different from the wholesale business. So it's not just shipping some pallets of products to, to the retailers, but really handling payments, handling the returns, handling the warehouse management. C can you share some insights of, uh, about this organization? So how many people are working there? How many people are doing collabs with, uh, with the rappers? So more jeans in Instagram. Um, so yeah, w I mean, we we've got a good set, good spread of organisations to cover both the e-com and that um, media part of what we do. Our e-commerce is actually um, we have teams in different scale markets, so they are spread between North America, EU, um, EAP. We have teams dotted around the the markets to support and, if you like, impact their ability to grow that e-commerce channel. So. Total numbers don't have for you, but we do invest in each market to make sure that not just from a global perspective, it's very much localized and focused around what the local market's needs are. So that would then mean ensuring that we have site merchandising that's relevant for EU and also site merchandising that's relevant for the US. No, I'm not asking this to nail down like on a specific number, I, I just to try to understand. So how much do, can you get on par with these uh, specialized pure players like uh, Zalando, uh, like an ASOS, uh, which are investing heavily into the um, into the online experience? Um, I've did the calculation a couple of years back where which led to a number of um, you, you can achieve two to four million euro revenue per Uh, member of the IT department, developers, uh, product owners, because um, they're they essentially tech-led businesses. Sure. It doesn't matter what they're uh, what they're sure. selling, and uh, and and they're obviously they need this kind of tech capabilities to um, to offer like the newest I don't know payment integrations, uh, the newest uh, tailored voucher um, uh, strategy. Where I, as a customer, maybe I'm buying like ten. Uh, trousers a year and therefore I get like a, a voucher on Christmas only for me for my size for sure. my type of trouser which is valid until like 10 days which is like super sophisticated from a technology perspective so yep. can, can you keep up with those kinds of development in the e-commerce market so yeah we have a we have a really well structured team uh, that works globally in terms of product management and looking at what those consumer pain points are and then building out with the engineering team in terms of delivering against the personalization and those things that you're talking to. And you know, from, from our perspective, yes, we have a team that's robust and um, it's in, in line with where we are today. And as we continue to explore new avenues or new areas of investment, then we'll continue to review how we then build the strength out in that team. But again, we're really fortunate. You know, We, we are located out of San Francisco. Uh, Part of Silicon Valley, and we have a huge amount of talent out there as well. My team do an amazing job building up what they do today, and you know I think we we are um, we are continuing that journey, and we continue to review how we're going to get there. What was the impact of Corona for for your business? Because uh, you you are mainly you're still mainly distributed in brick and mortar retail channels, and many of them had like a huge Corona um, impact. I can only talk for like European numbers. I don't know sure. how it was in. In the US, uh, war, was direct-to-consumer e-commerce able to cover it up um, all of the losses from the other channel, or was it like not the case? I think as you think about the, the initial opening to the conversation, we're an incredibly diversified brand. So between the Brits, Clicks, Pures, then you think about our DTC, both owned and operated franchise network, and also our .com, we have an incredibly diversified portfolio globally. So when a market goes 
into a lockdown program. We've probably got another market still trading. And so through that whole cycle, we, we were incredibly uh, well-versed at closing and opening and creating a safe environment for our teams more than anything and making sure that we looked after our, our colleagues globally. Um, and that then led us down the path of understanding that our diverse mix and portfolio was sustainable against such an impact. Um, you know, we, we suffered the same as other people in terms of loss of traction of footfall through tourism and through other closure periods. Um, but we've equally um, made sure that we've been ready to go when the consumer is ready to come back to us. And we've emerged stronger as a result of I, that. Are you still investing in your stores, brick yeah. and mortar stores? Yeah, we are. So even through our pandemic, we invested in new locations when we could um, based on lockdowns and restrictions in access. Um, refitting, so refits, relocations, new stores. And as I said before, over the next five years, we're going to continue to open another 400 locations. And how, what is the average size of a Levi location? Depends on the part of the world. Um, so we are probably between 1,500 and 2,000 square feet in EU, and we're anything between two and a half and three and a half thousand in the US. And the, the uh, locations are A plus, or is it rather in the in the shopping mall environment? So we're we're mixed. So we're we're assessing the markets in which we've got opportunity. We again we geo map where we already have distribution with our current wholesale distribution digital distribution and then how we would then place the location so it serves the community in which we're we're addressing okay and then you're getting the last questions like all the other guests so what what is your biggest bottleneck when it comes uh, when it comes to d2c growth is it the availability availability of talent also you have a, a, a silicon valley um, headquarter is it the availability of uh, um, of aggressive marketing spendings or is it anything else I would argue that for our brand, we want to move quickly. So time is always the limiting factor. So, you know, we, we, we're not rash in our behavior. We're very considered. However, we do want to move quickly when we, when we can. So, you know, test and scale, but do it fast. Test and learn and make sure we then progress to the next step of evolution. So for me, it would be around time constraint more than anything. What what is the last thing you have uh, you've done in this kind of let test and learn um, strategy? Ooh, that's a good question. We're currently in the middle of testing at the moment, so we know that size is always a problematic journey for people when you're online. Uh, physically, you can go and you can try things on. You can ask for another size to come out of the stock room, and you can do that in store. Finding the the, the, the solution for online is it's a bit of a mystery for everybody so we're, we're trying different things at the moment so you can uh, key in your body dim dimensions and you'll get a predicted size and also a recommendation of product now online and also you can now look at garments on the actual people who look like you so you can actually start to select models that would re reflect your um if you like your build or your your stature or your height or whatever it may be. So we're now creating opportunities to learn more about what the consumer journey is and how those things will work in a really good experience to get more accurate sizing. But, but to be honest, so if I recall correctly, over the last 10 years, there must have been like 1,000 startups trying to solve sure. this issue, sure. shopping the right size online with like yeah. scanning solutions and QR yeah. code, 3D solutions. And you're saying none of them worked so far? I'm not saying none of them worked. We actually have tried some of those and we still have some of those in play and again what we're doing as a business is we're learning 
we're testing and learning and the consumer is changing their perception all the time between physical and digital, transactional and experiential. And we want to make sure that we're servicing the consumer in the way that they want servicing. So we're very focused on their needs. Okay, I, I will try out after this podcast the uh, the customer journey. Maybe there's a good uh, size consultancy tool available that uh, brings me then uh, some denim products into my into my skin. Thank you, Richard. You're welcome. Thank you.